Our gracious Father in heaven, as we're about to go into your word, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. I pray that Christ would be glorified. And I pray, Lord, that the message would touch our hearts and it would help us, Lord, to be more encouraged in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, do you guys have your Bibles this morning? Amen. We're going to do a little bit of a Bible study, if that's okay. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Now this setting reminds me of my favorite sermon of all time, presented by the greatest preacher of all time. Today's message is entitled, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so I want you guys to use your sanctified imagination and imagine with me what it was like 2,000 years ago to be sitting at the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're already outside, the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and there's trees and there's grass. Imagine you are at that place, the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that was Jesus' first or one of his first sermons. And keeping this in mind, keeping this context, there was a lot of different people at that time. You had the rich, you had the poor, you had the scribes and the Pharisees, and you had the quote-unquote sinners. You had all kinds of people, and they all gathered around because they want to hear the words of Jesus and what he would say. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 5. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is about to speak. Now keep in mind, the people already knew something about Jesus. This man had already performed a miracle at a wedding, right? And what did he do? He turned water into wine. So they know that there's something about this man. Could he be the promised Messiah? What does he have to say? And you have all these scribes and Pharisees surrounding Jesus, thinking that Jesus will endorse whatever they taught the people at that time. But notice what Jesus says here. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Matthew 5, verse 3. Here's Jesus. He's about to speak. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the who? Poor in spirit, Poor in spirit for theirs is the what? The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now consider that for a moment. Now when you and I think about that, we think, well, that's nice, that's cute, that's sweet. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But if we go back 2,000 years ago, this was something extraordinary. This was very revolutionary. For you to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, is totally astonishing. In fact, if you look in the Bible, uh, go ahead a couple chapters to chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, the Bible says, And so it was, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, his Sermon on the Mount, that the people were what? Astonished at his teaching, for he had taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, another word for astonished is that they were mind blown. <laughs> totally mind blown. After what Jesus had preached, Jesus preached something totally different from the scribes and the Pharisees, totally revolutionary. They were astonished. They were mind blown. Now, every Sunday, I have the opportunity to co-teach a homiletics class for Finish the Work. And sometimes I, I feel kind of hypocritical because when I, when I critique, I feel like I'm not even living up to my critique. <laughs> or sometimes these, these students of ours, they're, they're very eloquent. And I feel like, man, they're, they're better than me. Who am I? But there's something that we just taught them recently. The four C's in giving a Bible study or the four C's in giving a sermon. Number one, 
captivation. Number two, content. Number three, conclusion. And number four, conviction. Captivation, you want to get the, 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 the attention of the audience. Content, the body of your sermon. Conclusion, you wrap it up. And conviction, that's the appeal. Now we focus on the first C, that is captivation. Did you know that you have 30 seconds to captivate the audience? And I don't know if I did that this morning or not. Hopefully I did. <laughs> but you have 30 seconds. Why? Because our mind tends to, it tends to wander away, right? Within first 30 seconds of your sermon, people will decide, should I listen or should I zone out? So we teach that this is very important time. And so within the first 30 seconds, you could either give a story, an illustration, some kind of statistic or some kind of random fact, whatever it takes to get the attention of the people. Notice how Jesus did it. The first thing he said for captivation is, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is totally mind-blowing. And if you read the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, the people had a mentality. They had the mentality, my ways, my thoughts, my opinion. The people at that time had a holier-than-thou mentality. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you kidding me? At that time, it was, if you were rich in spirit, you're blessed, right? But to say that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, poor in spirit at that time were tax collectors. Poor in spirit at that time were the, the harlots. Poor in spirit were the drunkards. And Jesus says, blessed are you, happy are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the what? Kingdom of heaven. Powerful, powerful. Now the Pharisees at that time, they were thinking, what is this guy teaching? But could you imagine the people who are outcasts, the people who are rejected, the hope that kindled in their hearts when they heard those words? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, a few years ago, I had a discussion with one of my coworkers, another nurse, and I don't know how this happened, but we had a spiritual conversation. And, and I asked her this question. I said, when it's all been said and done, do you think you will be saved? Do you think you will be in heaven? And what was her response? She says, yeah, I think I'll be in heaven. I think I'll be there. So I asked her another question. Okay, what makes you think you will be there? What is your guarantee or your assurance? And she says, well, I think I'm good enough to be in heaven. I, I think I'm good enough. So I asked her one more question. I said, what does it mean to be good enough? And she says, well, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes but I'm not as bad as other people. And she began to compare herself to other people who are worse off than her. Now, I would have to say that, yeah, she was a good person. She's a hardworking nurse. I observed her. She takes care of her patients. She really cares. But she was comparing herself to others. And because she compared herself to others who were spiritually inferior to her, she felt good about herself. Do you see that? Now, I want you to think about that as we go to a story in the Bible. Go with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And when you get there, let me know by saying amen. Amen? amen? Luke chapter 19. Does anyone know what the story is about? Luke 19. Zacchaeus, right? Now, just uh, what do we know about Zacchaeus right off the bat? He's a short little man, right? Okay, what else do we know about Zacchaeus? Okay, he was rich. He was a tax collector. What else? He was a what? 
a Hebrew? Okay. Now, let's, let's read in Luke chapter 19. And notice some keywords here. The Bible says in Luke 19, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus answered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named who? And he was the what? Now, let me ask you a question. What does it mean to be the chief? You're the boss. You're the supreme one, right? You, in other words, you remember Paul, what he said? He said, I am the chief of sinners. What does that mean? I am the worst of all sinners. So when the Bible says that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, what does that mean? He's the worst of the worst of all tax collectors. Now, somebody said that tax collectors are rich. Why were they rich? Because they stole and they cheated people. And Zacchaeus stole and cheated people. In fact, he was the worst. He was the chief of doing so. So do you think people liked him? No, right? And so how do people view Zacchaeus as somebody going to heaven? No. In fact, they looked down on him. Not, not, just, not just literally looked down because he was short, but they looked down on him spiritually because this man is a sinner. In fact, they say that later, that he's a sinner. Now, I want you to notice something here. Could it be that his stature, in, in a sense, in, in, in an applicable sense, could represent his spiritual condition? The Bible says that he was of little stature. He was short. He was short, right? And he was also a sinner. Now, keep that in mind. Stay there. Put a bookmark there. Romans 3, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans 3, verse 23, the Bible says, For all have what? And what? Fall what? Short to the glory of God. Do you see that? For all have sinned and fall short. And the Bible says here that when you are a sinner, you are considered short to the glory of God. Now here's Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is considered short physically and even spiritually. But what did he want to do? <laughs> grow? Someone say grow? <laughs> but what does the Bible say in Luke 19? He wants to see Jesus. How, how was that possible? The tree. And we see an application here. The solution for our shortness, spiritual shortness, is what? The tree, the cross. Do you see that? And so Zacchaeus is short, not just physically, but spiritually, but the solution was the tree. It's the cross in a, in a spiritual sense. But here's the thing. The Bible says not just Zacchaeus, but how many have fallen short? All have sinned and have fallen short to the glory of God. Now, I'm about five foot eight inches tall. I'm not tall and I'm not that short, but check this out. If somebody was about maybe five feet tall and stood up to my shoulder, how does that make me feel? Tall. I feel tall. I can look over their head. I feel good about myself, right? <laughs> like this, per this person is inferior when it comes to height, right? And because I look down, I feel like I could stand tall, right? But in the same way, what if somebody's like six something stands next to me? How do I feel now? Short. Very, very short in comparison to this person. It's all a matter of perspective, right? And in a very similar sense, like my friend, she thought she was good enough for heaven. Why? Because she compared herself to people who are spiritually shorter than her. And because they were spiritually shorter than her, 
she felt, I'm good enough to be saved. You know, in a very similar sense, the scribes and the Pharisees had the same mentality. They looked around themselves to the left and to the right. They saw tax collectors. They saw adulterers. They saw drunkards. And they said, they're short. And compared to them, I'm tall. Remember that parable Jesus gave? Two people went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a what? A tax collector or a publican. And the Pharisee, he's in the temple and he, he praises God. He says, God, I thank you so much. I'm such a good person. I pray, I fast, I go to church on Sabbath, I pay my tithe, and I'm not like that sinner over there, the tax collector. So he's boasting about his goodness and how he's not spiritually short, but rather spiritually tall. And here is the publican. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, and the Bible says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, only one of these men go home justified, and who was that? The publican. Now, why did he go home justified? What did he recognize about himself? That he was sinful. In other words, Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are you who recognize your spiritual condition. Now, here's the thing. Here's the truth. The fact of the matter is that everybody Jesus was talking to was poor in spirits. Not just the tax collectors, not just the drunkards, but even the scribes and the Pharisees and all the Jews. Everybody in reality was poor in spirits. But the condition is, do you recognize that you're poor in spirits? Or do you not recognize that condition? Now going back to the height example. When we compare ourselves to others, we can feel tall, right? But I told my friend, I... I my, my friend, my nurse, I told her, but check this out. I said, you're comparing yourself to the wrong people. I said, your standard is not each other. For the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our standard is guess who? Jesus. Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How tall is Jesus spiritually? <laughs> very, very tall. If you look at the trees, he's, he's taller than the trees. Now, it doesn't matter how tall you are spiritually. You could be six or seven feet tall, spiritually speaking. But when you compare yourself to Jesus, how tall are you? You fall short. You fall short. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be a scribe or a Pharisee, praying and fasting, giving your tithes and doing all these things, living up, trying to do all these things. But when you compare yourself to Jesus, you are short. And that's the point. The Bible says examine yourself, not examine your neighbor. And a lot of times we examine our neighbors, don't we? Like compare myself to my neighbor. Oh, I feel good about myself and I compare myself to this person. No. The Bible says examine yourself and look into Jesus. Because when you do that, you will recognize your spiritual condition. I want to show you a quote I have on my phone found in Steps to Christ. Steps to Christ, um, page 64, paragraph 2. Consider this quote. The closer you come to Jesus, the more faulty you will appear in your own eyes. It says, you will, for your vision will be clearer and your imperfections will be seen in broad and distinct contrast in their perfect nature. This is evidence that Satan's delusions have lost their power, that the vivifying influence of the Spirit of God is arousing you. So what's the quote saying in Steps to Christ? The closer you come to Christ, the more what? the more sinful and the more faulty you appear 
in your own eyes. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. The closer I come to Christ, oh, I'm giving up all these things for Jesus, I'm becoming more holy now, right? I, I, I'm starting to live up to the health reform. I'm starting to live up to all these reforms. Now I'm a better person compared to those who are not. And it's very tempting within our nature to compare ourselves to those who may not be living up to the light that we have, right? Like, I'm convicted on the health message. All right, I'll be a vegetarian, a vegan even. And if you're not a vegan or a vegetarian, well, maybe you're a little bit inferior. I'm convicted on dress reform, so I'll dress more modestly. But if you're not living up to dress reform, maybe you're a little bit inferior. And so here it is within our nature. We tend to feel like I'm doing all these things. I'm getting closer to God. I'm becoming more holy. No, Steps of Christ says, the closer you come to Christ, the more faulty you appear in your own eyes. Instead of being exalted and proud, it should humble us, for we recognize the more we need Jesus. Amen? Amen. We really need Jesus. We should not compare ourselves to one another, but we should look to Jesus and rely upon Him. This reminds me of another story. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 7. Luke, chapter 7, and we read in verse 36. And when you get there, let me know by saying amen. Are we all there? All right. Just give me one minute. Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. Now there's this man and his name is Simon. Not Simon Peter, but Simon the Pharisee. Now not all Pharisees hated Jesus. You remember in John 3, actually Nicodemus believed in Jesus. And here's this man named Simon and he's a Pharisee and he invites Jesus to his house for dinner, okay? So here it is, Jesus and his disciples go to Simon's house for dinner. And the Bible says in Luke chapter seven, verse 36, it says, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Notice verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a what? Sinner. A sinner. Now, it's kind of funny because everybody's a sinner, but in their eyes, they consider her especially a sinner. A sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with a the fragrant oil. So imagine that. Imagine you are one of the disciples and you go over to this Pharisee's house for dinner. It's you, the other disciples, and Jesus. You're having a good time eating that Middle Eastern food, whatever they're eating, right? And then all of a sudden, this woman comes to the door. She falls at the feet of Jesus. She's crying and she's kissing the feet of Jesus, she's anointing his feet with this perfume, and she's using her hair to dry his feet. I mean, that's like a distraction, right? <laughs> I mean, you would probably stop eating, like, what's going on here? What's happening? And Simon notices this, and he begins to think in his mind. Notice what he's thinking. Uh, we pick up in verse, lost myself right there for a moment, in 39. Now, when the Pharisee Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he spoke to himself, thinking to himself, saying, This man, Jesus, if he was a prophet, would know who and what manner this woman who is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Now, this woman, I believe, um, was a harlot. 
an unclean woman. And so he's thinking if this was a prophet, he would know for sure who this woman is and wouldn't dare let her touch him. But Jesus knew his thoughts. And look at what Jesus says in verse 40. Jesus says in verse 40, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon, I want to tell you something. Notice what he says. So he says, teacher, go on. Go ahead and say it. Verse 40, Jesus said and answered to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other only 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. So here's Jesus, and he says to the Pharisees, he says, listen, let me tell you a story. There were these two debtors, and they owed their master some money. One, 500 denarii. I don't know how much money that would be today. And another one, only 50. But he was feeling merciful, and he says, you know what? You who owe me 500, you're forgiven. Go in peace. You who owe me 50, you're forgiven. Go in peace. He forgives them both. Then Jesus says, which one do you think will love and appreciate more? And what does Simon say? The one who was forgiven more. The one who was forgiven more. And Jesus says, look at this woman. She, she's a great sinner, but she loves me so much. Why? Because her sins that are so great have been forgiven. Now let me ask you a question. A few weeks ago, I went to Las Vegas with my friends uh, to do a revival. Uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. We, we, we did a revival at a church in Las Vegas. And as we entered, this was on Friday night. It was a Sabbath. And as we entered Las Vegas, somebody said, we have now entered Sin City. And somebody else said, no, this is the city of grace. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now let me ask you a question. Does that mean I have to sin a whole lot to experience more grace? So why is it that this woman who's a great sinner loves Jesus more than Simon who probably didn't commit that many sins? It's not so much that she's more sinful because if you ask my opinion, and you could disagree, but if you ask my opinion, the Pharisee was just as bad as that woman. In fact, I think he was worse. Now, why do I say that? Jesus says, judge not, Matthew 7, lest you be judged. Because what measure you judge, you will be judged. Romans chapter 2, Paul says, Who are you that condemn? And who are you that judge? When you judge others, you do the same things. Ellen White says in Mount of Blessing chapter 6, judging but not doing, she says, Those who judge are guilty of a greater sin than the people that they accuse, because not only do they do the same things, but they add to it conceit and censoriousness. So really, the one who's judging is worse than the one that they're accusing. So if you ask me, Simon was worse than the woman. The Pharisee was worse. But here's the thing. The woman recognized her condition. That's the difference. They're both poor in spirit. They're both sinful. They both need a savior. But the woman recognized her condition. When you compare them to Jesus' righteousness, they both fall short. And that's the point. They both fall short. And she loved more because she recognized more of her sinful condition. 
Brothers and sisters, as I read that quote to you earlier, the more we get close to Christ, the more sinful we appear in our eyes, the more we can appreciate Jesus. The more we can appreciate him because the more we recognize our condition. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you who recognize your condition because in recognizing your condition, you realize your need for the Savior. Amen? See, Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to this world and he's inviting everybody to come and partake of the grace that he has to give. I want to make an appeal this morning. As we're out here, it's, it's a beautiful day, but I want to make an appeal this morning. There are different kinds of people here today, just like on the Sermon on the Mount. There were rich people, poor people, scribes and Pharisees, tax collectors, all kinds of people. But we all have one thing in common. What is that? We're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. For some of us, we might be tempted to, to believe that, you know, we might be better off than others because of our condition or whatever it is. But I wanted to make an appeal this morning to you that if you have believed that condition that you might be better off than others, I want you to see through the Bible that we have all sinned and come short and we all need the Lord. And there might be some here who are feeling unworthy. You feel like you've gone too far. The good news is that Jesus came for people like you and me. Amen? When Satan tells you that you're a great sinner and God cannot save you, you tell him, my Jesus is a greater Savior than I am a sinner. Jesus Christ is a great Savior. Amen? And he's come into this world and he wants to save each and every one of us. Amen? Well, God bless you guys. <laughs> I know I just kept it short, but... Um, this time we pray. Can we bow our heads for prayer? Loving Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for the message, Lord. It's not my message, it's your message. And you have told us, Lord, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we have seen, Father, that blessed are those who recognize their condition. When we look to Jesus, who is infinitely holy and infinitely righteous, no matter who we are, we realize that we fall short of his glory. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see our condition and help us to recognize our need for you. Not just today, but every day. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.